I've been sharing with you in the last few months, and we're almost done with it. A whole series on the... We're still on the 12th prophet, guys. Can you believe that? But next week is our last week on the 12 minor prophets. Today's sermon is continue to be bold, continue to have that strength, continue to have the courage, continue to have the boldness to go forward in what God has called us. And this is basically the message that's found within all of the themes that are found within the 12 prophets. For example, the theme of, of the day of the Lord. Remember that one? Every single one of the 12 prophets uses the language that beware of the day of the Lord. And in the first one that we discussed it with the first prophet, we found out that the day of the Lord can be a very terrifying experience or it can be a very upcoming and welcoming experience, depending on what your relationship with God is. That's what we found out. So, so when some people face the day of the Lord, they fear judgment and, and, and punishment and all the negative things. But when others hear the day of the Lord, there's a smile that comes up. I remember being one day at Presbyterian Village, and, and uh, uh, Debbie was still the chaplain there. And uh, she asked me, it was May, obviously, because it was the month that we, Light of Hope, go and do the Vesper services at Presbyterian Village. And a lady, a, a neighbor had passed on. And, and Debbie comes over and says, tells me, Pastor Edwin, I need to announce the community that this lady passed on. And I'm like, oh. Uh, how is that going to do them with, you know, I, I was, had all those thoughts. So I stood aside, and Debbie made the announcement, and I was amazed. It was amazing, the reaction of a lot of the residents in Presbyterian Village. I wasn't ready for that. You know what I saw the most out there? Complacent satisfying smiles. I wasn't ready for that. It impacted me how that community received that announcement. The day of the Lord came upon so and so. And they all responded with a smile. Praise be to God. They understood. So they knew that the day of the Lord was not, it's not something to be fearful about. It is something to embrace and welcome because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. We also saw the topics of God's faithfulness in Amos. We also saw the topics of God's holiness, God's righteousness. We saw that the message of the 12 prophets was all about repent from your ways. Repent from your ways. And you will then enjoy the blessings of the covenant. You will then enjoy the blessings of God. We know that this message was thrown out to all this for three, almost 350 years. In many of the different areas of the Middle East, the prophets prophesied. Obviously, they prophesied for a period of 350 years. Several generations heard the message, repent, stop your ways and follow God. And guess how many, tell me how many actually listened and follow God. None. Because eventually the punishment came upon them. They were sent in exile to Babylon and Assyria. They were put in slavery and punishment. The land was desolated. The temple was destroyed. Their identity was robbed from them. And it was while they were in exile they began to reflect. Oh. I remember. Oh. I wish I would have heard. 
But in God's amazing providence, in God's mercy, you can remember and you can repent and God will be there. Because they did do the 70, 50, 70 years in exile, but in God's mercy, he, oh, God dealt with those King Cyrus and King Darius over in those kingdoms. And their hearts were changed and shaped and suddenly they are given permission to go back home. They're given permission to go back establish their kingdom. They're given permission to establish their worship, their rituals, to build the temple and build the walls of their beloved city of Jerusalem. And this is where we find each other already after the exile. Malachi, and I like to joke around Malachi because he's my Italian prophet. Malachi. Look at the spelling. It's Malachi. Malachi is actually working with the people of God because they have become complacent. They have become extremely complacent. They have gotten back. They started building the temple. They started building the walls of the city. They started doing everything they wanted to do the way they wanted to do it. (sighs) Bring me some food. Bring me some drink. Turn on the TV. Last night included light up the fireplace and enjoy the pleasures of life. God? Who is God? Who is God to ask me to do something different in my life? Those were some of the arguments in Malachi. Who is God to ask me to give up my life? They were getting proud again. And there were seven arguments in the book of Malachi. But I'll only deal with one because if you remember, they're basically the same sins of idolatry. The sins of idolatry is when we put our, our passions, our affection to something else rather than God. What holds your passion and attention? Is it your job? Is it a project? It shouldn't be. It should be the passionate love and following of Jesus Christ. What is your passion? Where does, you know where your passion is at? Where your money goes. Yeah. I'm into winter clothing. And I don't know if this winter is going to be cold enough for me to use what I, <laughs> what I want to get. It may not be. But is that where my passion should be? Should it be even in the job, in the ministry? No. Oh, I'm rather passionate. That's Edwin. And don't chalk that to every Puerto Rican. There's some very dull, boring Puerto Ricans, okay? That's just me. (laughs) But I'm passionate about almost everything I do. But is that where my passion lies? Or where's my main passion? Is it in ministry? It shouldn't be. No. Is it in my job? It shouldn't be. It's in my building my spirituality with God. That's where my centrality of life should be. No matter what else happens, that's where my centrality of life should be. So the, the main complaint was other gods. Yes, we have idols even today. Sports, we talk about it. Even ourselves, we become gods to ourselves. How? We, that's very easy. When we begin to make plans for ourselves, for our ego, for our noticeability, for our popularity, and then we invite God to bless them. I remember doing that. Glad you didn't meet me when I was doing that. Many years later, I come and stumble with you guys, which is good. 
So the sin of idolatry and injustices were constant because they became complacent and they began to abuse the others. You know why? Because they thought they were better than anybody else. And everybody else was beneath them. And God, if God really hates something, is a proud heart. And that needed to be checked in them too. But there was one topic that really irked the Lord and made the Lord uncomfortable, unhappy with the people of Israel. Not only before the exile, but probably more predominantly after the exile. And it was the worship of God. You see, in the Old Testament, God established God's worship. In the Old Testament, the worships to God were mostly what? What did we see in the Old Testament? They were singing, right? They were singing. That's why we got the Psalms. There were instrumentalists. There was music. There were dancers. There were trumpeteers. There was in another section. They were doing something else besides the choirs. Do you hear me? Choirs. There were singing choirs. There were reciting scripture choirs. The one choir in one side of the, of the tabernacle or the temple would shout to the other side of the tabernacle. And they would answer back and forth. And it was the word of the Lord resounding back and forth, being proclaimed or sung. But there was one element that everybody was required in worship. It was just not a consumer show, a spectacle situation like we have today. But rather there were sacrifices. And there were mainly five main sacrifices. Let me see if I Yeah, five main sacrifices in the Old Testament. There were burnt offerings, sings offerings. And notice each one of them had a plural. Burnt offerings. You know how many different burnt offerings there were? 27 different burnt offerings. It depended on the animal. Then there were sin offerings. And it depended on how bad was your sin. Sometimes there was no offering that could clean up your sin. And that was the way it was over there. Then there is the, the, the offerings of, of peace offerings. And there were many of those. There were meal offerings. And they shared in meals also. And then there were trespasses offerings. Those were more legalistic. That had to do with land and territory. And, and, and even that was part of the worship of God. So what is God asking and requiring for worship? Notice the word is offerings. It's the offering of our life back to God. It's not the chicken or the goat necessarily. So in the Old Testament, all those offerings were done. And the people, every festivity had a whole series of offerings. If you were going to take seven doves for a sacrifice of sin, there was doves and, and, and little sheep. No Bambi, no, not Bambi's, but little. Mary had a little lamb kind of thing. You know, they were sacrificed. You never saw it if it was sacrificed or not, because you basically took those offerings to a section in the temple, and there was a whole group of Levite priests that would take care of all those animals. They were all sacrificed the same day. We knew that if we're going to have a feast next week and we have to slaughter 70 white lambs, well, bring them in, and we separate those 70 ass, just like we budget today, the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. They just produce animals and crops. Remember that? What do we produce today? Money, time, and talents. That's what we produce today. So in the Old Testament, the offerings were there. You know, the amazing thing is that in the New Testament, everything changes. 
Everything changes in the New Testament because God himself decides to pay off the offerings. Did you figure that out? There was nothing good enough that a human being could offer up to God that would satisfy God because it was always tainted. Not only by perhaps the imperfection of the crop or the animal, but mainly, and God repeats this throughout all the 12 prophets, but mainly by the attitude of our hearts. Remember, he does not look at the outward, but the Lord looks at the inward. So interestingly enough, in the New Testament, sacrifice is internal. God is not asking you to go and slash yourselves in the name of Jesus. Well, we saw this weekend how someone and blew themselves up. That, that is not Christianity. That is not true spirituality, okay? Because listen to what Paul says. Listen to what the word of Paul says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead, I am asking you, I'm begging you by the mercies of God, another version says, to give your bodies, the Greek says, to give your entire self to God as an act of worship. As an act of worship. Why? Because are we going to gain anything? No. You see, God has paid all the offerings. God has slain the Lamb of God that was to be slain from before the foundation of the earth. Jesus Christ was that Lamb that paid all and satisfied all. God reconciled everything to himself, Paul reminds us in Colossians, and he made peace with everything. So when I'm telling you that God is no longer angry at you, there is nothing you can do to make God angry at you. He may roll his eyes, oh God. (laughs) Or just kind of snicker, (laughs) okay. But there is nothing you can do that can get you God angry at you, no. We sing that Jesus paid it all. Do we believe that? That's what it says. He reconciled, made peace with everything in heaven and in earth through Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross. So in the New Testament, our worship is a worship of responding to God's grace, responding to God's goodness. We no longer have to appease God. We no longer have to give things to God so that God can give us things. God has promised to give us everything. You know? And some of us get everything and we don't realize it from God. And we just don't know how to respond. Actually, we, got, we want more. And we don't know that it's coming from God because we don't deserve it by grace. But we want more and more and more. So our, our, our worship is passionate. Our worship includes rationality. Our worship, like we say in this congregation at Light of Hope, it's got to be M&M. Right? What does that mean? Jen, you may not know. It's got to be meaningful and memorable so that it can be a real encounter with God between you and God. And you know what? The style doesn't matter because God is there. The, light, the sound level doesn't matter. Actually, it is in the peaceable wind that God's voice is heard most. Verse 3, in in the section that I was going to read in in Malachi, 
Verse three of chapter three says, "He will sit like a refiner, like a refiner, burning away the the crud, the dirt from the gold. He will purify the Levites. He will purify the Levites. Who's a Levite here? Do you know what the Levite? The Levite used to be the Old Testament priests." The class of Old Testament priests. In Reformed theology, one of the biggest things of the Protestant Reformation is the priesthood of all the believers. So who's a Levite here? Let me see the hands. Now you realize you're a Levite. You're a priest of God. Oh, I may be the teacher, but you're the priest, the ministers, as we say. The ministers in the community and within the congregation. He will refine. Oh, he's going to do it. He will refine the gold. And silver, so that they listen to listen why God is going to refine us. Listen why God is going to get involved with us in our life. Listen to this, so that they will find God's. So, so I'm sorry, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to God. Keyword: acceptable. Sacrifices to God. What is the acceptable sacrifice to God in our modern day? Ourselves. In one way, shape, or other, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. If God has rescued you, you belong to God. You see, and, and, and this idea that we belong to God and God belongs to us and God is making us acceptable worshipers because that's what the verse 4 says. He will turn us into acceptable worshipers. And that's what God wants to make. God is not interested in making lots of money. He owns it all. God is not interested in having a crowd for popularity. He is God, by the way. God is not interested in stuff that is superficial and temporary. God is God. And thus, God's goal is to for us and God to hang out together. For us and God to have a life together. Oh, all the good things are included in there. But as long as we keep God as our center. So we can be bold. We can go out there and, and really expect God to do great things. Look at that little cat. Look at that little cat. Tell me if that cat's not bold or what. Does that cat, I mean, the cat is, well, those of you who are not watching this, there is a little tiny cat walking in front of over 25 German shepherds, and the cat is just relaxing. Tell me about boldness. When the animals are out there getting ready to devour you, when you think society is against us, nah, they're waiting for us. Be bold in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, because in the ultimate analysis, God is calling us to love one another radically, not to just be nice to people. I have a very private joke about the word nice. If you want to hear it, talk to me later. Hopefully not a Sunday. And nice. God's not interested in us being nice to one another. No. God is interested that we accept one another like God accepted us with all of our crud and, 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 and ugliness. So we can be bold. We can give ourselves boldly to God with our time, our talent, our treasures. God is fashioning you to be a good worshiper. And good worshipers, good worshipers give of themselves to God and to others. We then redesign our lives against God's worship. Love radically. Serve now. 
Oh, I know some of you have two jobs. Some of you don't have enough jobs. And, and there is a need to create some finances. Can you believe that some people dedicate their lives to do voluntary work and their financial things are taken care of by God because they are loving radically, serving presently. Now, when God is calling you, oh, I got to wait to serve. Well, it's now that God is calling you and give greatly, give generously, give irresponsibly. Uh, what was the word that we liked? Um, if I may uh, call on Jay to rattle his memory, give irresponsibly or give, give radically. There was a phrase that we liked. It was something like that. He comes up with it, just shouted. See, but it was that. It was give it, give. Give significantly. Give significantly to God. Not only of your money, because that's what we produce, actually, and that's how we maintain the stuff here. And we can create the ministries to go out and touch other people's lives. But of your time and of the gifts that you may know you have and those who you don't know you have. Some of you may be just tired, and you have done it, and you're just remembering how you used to be so active in church, but your body just not cooperating. Well, you know what? You give prayers. You offer intercessions for us who are in the battlefield, in the front lines. You be the back, be back office and just pray for us, support us in every way, shape, or form. Is that doable for the vision of our church? To love radically, serve presently, and give greatly. Is that doable? Can I put my billfold away? Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you call us to be participants in everything you do because you have called us to be yourselves right here in this earth to one another. Oh, we have stuff that bothers us. We have stuff that's in between you and us. But you know what? You have removed all things, stuff that we have to now realize is not significant to you. And go forth toward you, Lord. Because you love us. You want us to love radically like you loved us. You want us to serve right now. Because there are needs out there. And you want us to give greatly of all that you have given to us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.